0: You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks makes 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more on achieving optimal performance, visit naturalstacks.com.
1: You were looking for a way to change your life. You got
0: it. I kind of think in some ways... Selfishly that it should remain a secret because it is
1: such an advantage. Nothing start. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.
0: All right. Happy Thursday, all you Optimal Performers. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. We're joined this week by our guest, Christopher Kelly. Chris, thanks for hanging out with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm
0: excited. So for you guys listening, Chris is the host of a podcast of his own, Nourish, Balance, Thrive. He is a very, very smart, um, data-driven Biohacker, we're going to call him. I don't think he would call himself that, but but we're going to give him that nickname. Um, he is a software engineer and a professional cyclist. So we're going to explore uh, a lot of uh, different things today. But one of the the things that excites me about having you on the show, Chris, is that you have insight into uh, through your podcasts to what a lot of other high performers and, and elite uh, achievers are doing to attain um, that optimal health. So we're going to really take advantage of your collective knowledge and, and see what you can share with us to help us live optimal. A um, couple of the topics I know we're going to hit, uh, fatigue, hormonal fluctuations, uh, libido. Uh, I, I saw that on your website, and I think that's going to be something that's interesting to our listeners. We have not covered those topics. Um, so before we do all that, guys... Make sure you head to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the video version of this along with the show notes, links, and resources. Anything that Chris mentions that we want uh, to be able to pursue, we'll have links for that. Um, If you have not done so, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show, and share the Optimal Performance Podcast. If this helps you, uh, helps you move your mission forward, helps you uh, to to feel better, uh, live better, Please share it with someone that you know uh, that will also benefit from listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Chris, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you become the, uh, the, the expert and, and the Nourish, Balance, Thrive guy?
1: I was forced. Necessity was my teacher, Yeah, is the answer to that question. And hacker is the perfect word. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm a computer scientist. My undergraduate degree is in computer science. Um, three years ago, I was working at a hedge fund as a computer programmer and also a very keen amateur cyclist, excuse me. And, um, you know, one of my big goals was to get my pro license. I was a cat one amateur at the time on the mountain bike. This is, and, um, just really threw my heart and soul into it. The training, um, obviously I was doing what I thought was the right thing with my diet, low fat, high carb, you know, replacing the glycogen after each and every ride diligently, And uh, really putting the hours in, you know, 20 plus hours on the bike each week. And I just got worse. The wheels came off the wagon, you know, like I really just fell apart. And, you know, I did what anyone would do, which is they would go to the doctor. And, uh, help. you know, working for a hedge fund, I had really, really good health insurance. And the primary care doctor was just worse than useless. Really, really quite appalling experience. And, you know, just a lot of guessing, a lot of mindless use of flow charts. Not like what I do in my work whatsoever. You know, there's no there's no critical thinking, there's no problem solving, there's no debugging. Is the word I would use as a computer scientist. It was all just kind of whack a mole symptoms. Oh, I see, um, you know, low low libido. Here's some Viagra. Oh, I see, you know, gastrointestinal symptoms. Like here's a, a steroid, anti-inflammatory. Only that didn't come directly from him. You know, that was another appointment with the gastroenterologist. That was even more useless than than he was and it was just a really shocking experience cost me a lot of money spent a fortune in deductibles didn't get any better um at the time i i just was starting to kind of see the paleo world it was really serendipitous i was a huge fan of podcasts because, just because i was i'm british i'm from london and i was living in california it was actually yahoo the web company that brought me over here and i used, I used to listen to the bbc world service and that was kind of a gateway drug into the podcast world. And I started listening to people like Rob Wolf and discovered Lauren Cordain. And uh, Joe Free was a very infamous endurance athlete that wrote a book with Lauren Cordain called The Paleo Diet for Athletes. And I thought, wow, this is worth a punt, right? You know, I mean, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but um, I'll give it a try. And it really, really helped me. And around right about that time, I met the woman who's now my wife who had just finished her master's degree in food science And was really disillusioned with the opportunities that lay ahead for her because she thought that a lot of what she'd been taught in school wasn't going to work for people. Right. So you become a registered dietitian and you have to work within a framework that's laid out for you. And she was pretty sure that low fat, high carb was not going to work for people. And so she didn't go down that route. And she actually ended up working for McKinsey, which is a management consultancy company. Um, And she was like, yeah, your gastroenterologist is an idiot. I think this paleo diet is a really good idea because I can see that it eliminates a lot of the really common food allergens, especially gluten and dairy. And sure enough, I did get better. And then eventually I switched to a stricter form of the paleo diet called the autoimmune protocol. And that got even better results. So I excluded things like nuts and seeds and and nightshades, which I have successfully been able to reintroduce. And a ton of things I was measuring on blood chemistry, including C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation improved. And so there was a lot of things that were headed in the right direction. And you know, just once your brain starts working and being a curious person anyway, you know, like a computer scientist, and I just kind of want to know how things work. That led me quite quickly to functional medicine. And I'm sure people listening to this will have heard that term before. And I think it's just opposed to dysfunctional medicine, right? Where they're just not really even, you know, you run a test, you find low testosterone, you prescribe testosterone, and that's it, you're done. Like that's, you know, you could train a monkey to do that. You know, it was functional whether you were doing like a proper investigation like a computer scientist would uh, or a chemical engineer would when you're trying to solve a problem. And uh, and now that's what we do. I ended up quitting my job at the hedge fund to start a functional medicine practice with my wife. And uh, I now employ a registered nurse. Um, The CEO of Nourish Balance Thrive is also a medical doctor and a pro mountain biker. And uh, my chief medical officer is Dr. Tommy Woods, who is a Ph.D. fellow and also a medical doctor, been on my podcast many times. And uh, yeah, we're just having a lot of fun making people feel better. We've run labs on 700 athletes now. And so we're sitting on a ton of data. And I think we've got a pretty good idea of what makes people feel good at this point.
0: All right, well, we're going to ask you what that is in just a minute. I (laughs) want to go back to something that you just said. So as you went through that transition, um, I think one of the interesting things is uh, with the paleo or the high fat, uh, low carb approach. Making sure that you get enough energy nutrients to fuel... Um, it, it's one thing if, if you're not incredibly active, but as active as you had to have been transitioning from... You know, I think the thing that got lost in all that was you went from a, an amateur to now a professional cyclist.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I do have a UCI Pro license now. And I, I should make it clear though. sometimes people pull me up on this, that I'm a hobby pro, right? So I'm not Lawrence Tendam who makes his living riding his bicycle, right? I'm someone who shows up. I race at that same level on the mountain bike, but nobody's paying me a salary. Nobody even gives me a bike, right? I don't want to take stuff from people because then I would owe them something. So yeah, I call myself a hobby pro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but I, but I only bring that up to, to demonstrate that you had to keep your energy intake higher than probably the average person. Right. And, and even, you know, if, if all high fat, low carb foods are on the table that can be difficult but you you removed even more like you said you took the nuts out in that um that anti-inflammatory and the 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 gut healing variation how did you keep your energy uh intake high enough to sustain what you were doing
1: yeah it's true i so you hear this on the on podcasts all the time don't you people saying oh you can out eat any exercise regime i don't care what you do you can out eat it that's not true so I can show you a three and a half thousand calorie bike ride right so I can create a huge energy deficit in in a a day and yeah you really do need to get those extra calories in and you know I can tell you from personal experience and the people that I've worked with that that saturated fat is by far the easiest and the safest most non-inflammatory way uh, to get that extra energy so you know I'm eating tons of avocados and ribeye steaks and a lot of mct oil um, a lot of coconut oil um, a lot of fatty fish so yeah the extra energy the extra calories are coming from saturated fat i'd say okay all right very cool so
0: then uh, you kind of hinted at with your over 700 athletes that you've got lab work for Mm -hmm. um you guys are having fun making people healthy and and learning what it is uh, i want to know like if you could tell the listeners three things or, or four things, like w- what are the secrets?
1: Where do you see most people going wrong? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I wasn't expecting that until the end of the podcast.
0: That's why I, I, as soon as it came out, I was like, oh, no, we can't go with three. Cause that's not the three, uh, ah. to live optimal. <laughs> but this is, uh, like in your, in your practice, um, and with those lab results, what are you commonly seeing as, um, you know, uh, red flags or, or areas that, that need emphasis clinically. Right.
1: Yeah. So it's the things that you talk about on this podcast, right? So my most powerful tools. So that's how, it, how this kind of went down was, you know, you find something good. You don't want to be a jerk. You share it. I went on to the Ben Greenfield podcast and talked about my story there with um, Jamie, who's the one of the medical doctors. And uh, we had a bunch of people that came to us and said, that's me as well. I've got a terrible fatigue and I can't sleep at night and my libido sucks. Like, can you, whatever you did, do it for me. And that's what started the business. And, you know, two years later, I know that by far my most powerful tools are diet and sleep and stress mitigation. So if you're eating, you know, a crappy diet, if you're still eating cereal for breakfast and sandwiches for lunch and pasta for dinner, then... I, you know, I'm going to like high five my wife and have a little dance around the kitchen because we know that you're going to be giving us a testimonial in two weeks' time. <laughs> you know, that's my most powerful tool. And then sleep is the same. And but most people, by the time, you know, if you're feeling tired, then getting adequate sleep seems like an obvious thing to try, right? So by the time someone talks to me, most people are at least emphasizing and understand the importance of sleep. And. Uh, yeah, no, certainly for me in the beginning, I couldn't sleep. Like, I was trying and I couldn't. But you get into bad habits, you know. So my thing was I would just stay up all night watching old reruns of the Tour de France on the couch. And so how the hell did I ever expect to get good quality sleep? Because I just stopped even trying it, even though I knew it was important. Right. So the sleep thing, you know, that's when all the growth hormone happens. That's when testosterone happens. That's when all the good things happen is when you're asleep, which is so important for an athlete. So, yeah, the sleep is super-duper important. Then stress mitigation, you know, for me, that's, you know, I say that now, I've started a new business and had a kid, so maybe it is more of an issue than I know, but um, it's good stress. Like, I'm having a lot of fun with it. But for other people, they're not. Like, you know, they, they hate their job and their commute sucks and my wife's a bitch and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, or my husband's a dick. You know, and, that, and that can really play into this thing. You know, for people, we measure cortisol, the, fu- the primary stress hormone, on on the labs and you know we see a lot people whose whose cortisol is just off the charts and cortisol is sending this message to your brain or your your brain is creating this message which is i'm being chased by a tiger right now Mm -hmm. you know is that a good time to make babies or to make bigger muscles or to even do some digestion or immunity like it's just so the stress can ruin everything too so yeah to summarize diet sleep and stress i think are the three most important things so I want to touch on stress a little bit more. I mean,
0: the, 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 being chased by a tiger, uh, that is, it's a useful response if you are in fact being chased by a tiger. Right. What gets us in trouble is that, you know, it's chronically elevated and, and even at lower levels than, than that. I, um, so you, you just mentioned, you know, you, you have a, a brand new child, you've got a business, um. What kind of practices do you have in your daily life that help you mitigate stress uh, and keep cortisol at bay?
1: Well, do you know what? So I've done a number of things in the past which have been very helpful. And Headspace, that I'm sure many people will have heard of, Headspace.com, Guided Meditation. Um, Andy Puddicum narrates you through the process of learning how to meditate as being one of my most useful tools in the past. But I've not been doing that recently. And I don't really feel like I'm doing anything to do any stress mitigation at the moment. And, and, and maybe that'll come on, come undone in, in, in the end. But, you know, I've measured my cortisol uh, using a very fancy mass spectrometry test. And I really don't have a problem with with cortisol production. So when I look at it, um, you know, I actually have quite low cortisol production at the moment. And so I think it's difficult to go by symptoms. And if you'll see this, like just go to... Uh, the Mayo Clinic website and have a look at the symptoms for low cortisol and then have a look at the symptoms for high cortisol. They're exactly the same. Literally, they're exactly the same. And so you cannot know if you have a problem with cortisol just by symptoms alone. You really got to do a test.
0: And that's a big part of what you guys do in in your business, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm not a magician. When someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm feeling tired. My libido sucks. I'm not recovering from workouts anymore. What have you got for me? Um, A whole bunch of tests is what I've got for you. So we do... Uh, urinary metabolites of hormones, testosterone, cortisol, progesterone, uh, estrogen, melatonin. Um, and then we also look at urinary organic acids. There's 75 of those, so I won't list them all. And uh, then we also look at blood chemistry. And uh, we do stool testing. So we look for parasites and overgrowth of opportunistic pathogens in stool. And, and, and that's what we do. And I, the, 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 the workup, the process, is it's very much in keeping with the biohacker ethos, right? So it's your data. You need to go in there and figure out what's going on inside your body. Like, nobody cares about this problem more than you do. Right. And so you've got to do this investigation. And it's a bit like, you know, I think of it as being, you know, your car, the the engine check light comes on, right? So if you're a guy, you're waking up in the morning, you no longer got an erection, right? The engine check light is on. Um, So you need to bring your car into the shop and have the mechanic hook up that machine that's cost $60,000, is made by Bosch and they, they do their diagnostic test and it comes back and okay so number three cylinder is not firing and you're deficient in this and this is blocked and you know you can do that with your body now um, with the type of biomedical testing that we do and, and so that's what we do we find problems on lab tests and they're not it's not a medical diagnosis there's a, a huge difference between what we do no, so when you go to a doctor they diagnose and treat disease whereas we're targeted at Um, Helping athletes improve their performance, which is kind of very difficult, very different, I should say, right? So a doctor doesn't have a way to bill for that. Um, So yeah, it's different and it's fun. So walk walk us through
0: what that experience is like. Let's say I I say, all right, I I want you to do for me what it is that you do. I come to, I go to your website and sign up. What's that process like?
1: Yeah. So. I have just put together a web page that explains what, what's involved. So maybe I'll send you a, a link for that. It's nourishbalancethrive.com forward slash EPP. Okay. And I'll, I'll send you the link for that. And you can see what testing is involved. Uh, most of the testing can be done at home now. It's amazing. That's like, one of the things that's so exciting about being in this industry is the testing is just getting better and better all the time. And it's just to be part of that is just amazing. And um, like I said, we do urinary hormones. So you just pee on some filter paper four times during one day, and then I can tell you what's going on with your cortisol, your testosterone. Or if you're, you're a woman, you might be more interested in estrogen and, and, and progesterone, but not necessarily, because those hormones can be important for men too. Right. And then the, the organic acids. So these are the stuff of metabolism. And you can actually measure, you know, maybe you've heard people talk about the TCA cycle, the Krebs cycle. And all that biochemistry tends to be quite boring to people until it's their biochemistry, right? So if you identify right. as a biohacker, Like, when I show you your Krebs cycle, and you can go onto wikipathways.org and look at the pathways and see where you have an elevation and you have a deficiency, and you look at those enzymes and and the cofactors that are involved, like, that's kind of interesting. And we also can find yeast overgrowth and bacterial overgrowth. And, you know, I know you talk a lot about neurotransmitters, and we can't measure them all. And, in fact, it's impossible to measure neurotransmitters in urine. But you can measure the metabolic ashes, right? You can measure the metabolites, like homovalinate. Um so we can actually tell you what's going on with your dopamine and serotonin using one of these organic acids tests. And that's just a urine sample. And then the blood chemistry, you know, right? So rather than going to the doctor and asking them to draw blood, you just order a test on my website and I send you a PDF requisition form and you go directly to Quest and they do the blood draw and I have some fancy software that defines tighter reference ranges and and then at the, the end of the whole process we've got a whole bunch of data and I get the person on Zoom, I use this video conferencing app called Zoom, which is phenomenal. And then I share my screen and I do it a bit like a training course, you know, where I actually explain people's results. And mm-hmm. you know, many of you have been to the doctor and the doctor's holding your test results like this, <laughs> looking at it it's like a playing card, right near close to his chest. And I think people, you know, especially people listen to a podcast like this, they, they don't want that. You know, it's your data and you should understand it. And, you know, you're in a really good position to, to take action on it. And so that's what I do is like, I do my very best to have people understand what the results mean. Um, so that once they understand those principles, they can, they can take the action that's needed to, to fix the problems that they found.
0: Very cool. And then
1: f- with that data, do you
0: help people, uh, obviously, uh, you help people plan and, and set the, the course for the way they eat, the way they train uh, and work on the habits and, and stuff to get those things going in the right direction?
1: Yeah, exactly. So my wife has been um, coaching people, athletes, endurance athletes, primarily um, with their diet, and she's basically teaching those people how to eat in the way that I eat, right? So, uh, the eating part is actually fairly straightforward. Um, the cooking and the shopping and the planning is very much more challenging, and that's what Julie does. Yeah. Um, so she does that part of the I, the coaching. is
0: always harder than uh, <laughs> theory, right?
1: I've never had a problem with eating. High carb, <laughs> low carb, it's all been fine. Um, but yeah, like figuring out exactly what you should eat is, is, is rather more difficult. And I've got to this amazing place now eating this diet. I'm sure it's not just the diet, but the diet, I think, is probably the most important part where I can do. So last week I did 16 hours of activity on my bike, like fairly low level activity. And then uh, this weekend I went out at the end of that 16 hours uh, with a local pro, like the fastest local pro we've got on the scene here in NorCal. So it's a pretty fast scene anyway. and just smashed it three hours with this kid. And I'm sure he was, like, probably not going as hard as he could, for sure. But for me, that was smashing it. And I felt great. And I was able to come home, you know, get some work done, maybe do some podcast editing, look at some health plans and feel really good. And, and that, I think, is a huge win over what I had before, you know, where I do, you know, even just a couple of hours of exercise and then I'd be just eating carbs all night and sat, sat on the couch. <laughs> like, it sucks. Right.
0: So... I think that's a great testimonial. A lot of times when you hear uh, one of the, um, I guess, objections to the low-carb approach or is that, you know, for so long we've been told that we need carbs for recovery. And, and I think you just touched on the fact that, you know, that's really not the case.
1: It's not the case for endurance ex- exercise, yeah. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of people, strength-based athletes, that would... Uh would contest my point here and, and they're right. So, you know, you get to a point where you're, um, inserting glycolytic pathways that are glycolytic, right? They use glucose. And so you've only got so much of that. And it makes sense when, if you're a CrossFit athlete or uh, a power lifter or a bodybuilder, I mean, you know, eat some carbs. And then if you're working out twice a day, you use a carbohydrate powder and, and replenish that glycogen as quickly as you can. But for an endurance athlete like me, that's doing, you know, 16 hours in a week, at 140 beats, like you don't need, like you shouldn't be using carbohydrate at that level of exertion. And if you are, I think it's a mistake. And you know, you're going to run out of glycogen, and, and then you're on that sugar roller coaster, and just feeling like crap all the time.
0: All right, I agree with that. Great <laughs> answer. Great answer. So, um, I, I think that's the the thing that that a lot of people miss is is they're looking at
1: context
0: yeah they're they're not they're not putting the context in there and it's you have to be goal dependent so it's you know if i am doing crossfit and i am using different energy pathways then yeah i will need more glycogen i will need
1: yeah the goal is not it's a really good point the goal is not low carb the 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 goal is something else so for me as a mountain biker my goal is to compete at a high level and then not suck as a father and not suck as a small business (laughs) owner right like that's kind of the goal yeah. And, uh, you know, for somebody else, they're going to want something totally different and right. low carb may or may not come into that solution. It's really up to you to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, I think,
0: uh, that that's very similar to the conversation we had with Mark Sisson a few weeks ago <laughs> and it was, you know, what we're doing needs to enhance the rest of our life. And right. I think I, I like the way
1: you said it better, not suck as a father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've learned so much from Mark Sisson. I really enjoyed that podcast. He's such an amazing guy. And of course he's been talking about all this stuff forever. And, you know, I found out about it, you know, 15 minutes ago. Um, so I am Johnny Cunn lately. But, yeah, it's a tester I th- I would say that my experience is a testimonial to the, everything that's in uh, Mark's book, The Primal Endurance. Uh, handbook, is it Primal Endurance? Uh,
0: pr- primal Blueprint and then Primal Endurance is the new one. Primal
1: Endurance is the book I've just finished reading. Okay, cool. And it was like, I read that book. And I was like, yep, that's the book I should have read 10 years <laughs> ago. <laughs>
0: Well, so if you guys are, are listening and you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. I believe that one was episode 49. Um, but that's Marxist, and he talks all about how to become a fat burning beast. Um, Chris, how old are you? I am 40. Okay. So uh, one of my questions was going to be you know, what do you wish you knew at 25? And, and I guess, is it you're not allowed to say primal endurance.
1: Oh my goodness. Can I, can I go back to like two years old? So, I mean, I've wasted my entire half of my life. I I I honestly believe that. So, you know, the problems started for me as the beginning, like stinky diapers that didn't make sense, you know, and, um, you know, my mum ran out of breast milk. And so I was fed from some like thin out of a tin, you know, like called SMA with soy and I don't God knows what else in it. And, you know, I was weaned on to carbohydrates and I ate a ton of, we call them biscuits, you call them cookies. I, I mean, I, I was probably severely insulin resistant by the time I was in my early 20s, let alone, you know, any older. And so, you know, I really want to talk to myself at, at four years old. And it kind of, it's almost an emotional experience when you see, you know, someone with half your genetic material, my daughter, no doubt, you know, you see other traits which are very similar to your own, that she has probably a lot of mice, you know, genetic junk. And then so for her to to not have to suffer that experience, you know, and to get a decent education. So I feel like my education was wasted because I just couldn't concentrate. You know, the teachers would describe me as disruptive and I would have moments of brilliance. You know, I'd, sometimes I'd pull it out of the bag and get an A for a science exam or something, you know. But for the most part, I'd be setting fire to the to the Bunsen burners, you know, like try, <laughs> trying to start a fight or something like that, pulling a stool out for some, somebody's ass just before they're about to sit down or something like that. And it was just it was just disruptive behavior that was being driven by my biology at that time. And I, it's just, it all went away when I fixed the biology. So yeah, I want to like f- people to know that this is not your destiny. Like you can control and manipulate this stuff. All right. That's very cool. I think, and that's why we're doing what we're doing uh, with the
0: podcast. We want to empower all of you guys listening with the tools to be able to do that. Um, so Chris, Tell us, uh, maybe two or three. Uh, I know it's not fair to use favorite um, because uh, you don't want to call any of your podcast guests better than any of the others. But two or three of your your uh, most inner, uh, I guess, your, your most interesting podcasts. What have you learned from all the people that you get to interview that has had the
1: biggest impact on you? Blimey, talk about putting me on the spot. That's a difficult and good question, isn't it? You know, Brian Walsh is a naturopathic doctor. So I'm like this, I'm really good at networking at this point. Like I realized that starting a business is all about who you meet and the relationships that you form. And starting the podcast has been just the most amazing way to do that. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I started the podcast was I wanted to figure out exactly how this thing just worked. Like what just happened to me? Like somebody gave it to me as a black box and it worked. You know, I just took the supplements, ate the diet, got the sleep. And I felt fantastic. And I really wanted to understand how it worked. So I've got all these people on the podcast. And, wow, Brian Walsh, a naturopathic doctor who's been really, really generous. So Brian, uh, he teaches medical students anyway as part of his day job. And I feel like he's really taken me under my wing and really taught me so much stuff. And he's done a couple of good podcasts with me. And the one that really blew my socks off was the one on social isolation. So, you know, just very briefly... Um, know that social isolation can actually change the way that your immune system works. And this kind of makes sense. Like, imagine if you were living in a tribe and you were surrounded by a bunch of people, then you'd want to be protected by communicable diseases, right? Like if there was a virus going around or something, like you'd want protection from that. But imagine another tribe came along and invaded and set fire to your heart and all of your people were dispersed into the woods, then you'd want a different sort of immunity, right? You'd want protection from... You know, say you fell and you, you know, stabbed yourself on a, on a log or, or a tree or something. And suddenly you've got a bunch of inflammation and stuff floating around in the cytosol and all this kind of stuff. So you'd want like protection, kind of adaptive protection. And so um, the same thing can happen. And people have done a lot of careful work on this, looking at this, that when you isolate people socially, it changes the way that their immune system works. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. And I've just not heard anyone else talk about that stuff on any of the podcasts, even though it's so important. And you have to look at the way that we live today, right? Everybody's connected via, uh, I don't even know what all the things are now. I mean, I know Facebook and I know email and I just about know Instagram. And then I've heard of things like Snapchat and all these (laughs) other things. So are these things really connecting people socially in the way that living in a tribe once did? Because that's sure as hell of changing the way that our immune systems work. And he's just like such a thoughtful guy like that. He's deep, deep in the research all the time. But he's also an amazing critical thinker. So, yeah, Brian Walsh, absolutely such an amazing guy. Um, and then Kurt Parsley as well is just a phenomenal. He's a medical doctor, a former Navy SEAL. And uh, he's just been on my podcast when he talks about um, sleep and, uh, and how important that is. And that was an amazing episode. Um, and then I love So one of my favorite things to do is like when you find a cool test, like go find the guy that developed that test. So, for example, with the Dutch test, the urine test that we do, it's urinary mass spectrometry that looks at hormones. I went and found the analytical chemist, Mark Newman, that developed that test. And he is just amazing. He describes his knowledge as being an inch wide and a mile deep. And that is just perfect. It's so true. Like there's nothing he doesn't know about hormones and measuring hormones. And so to get him on the podcast and just hear the story behind the test that you've had so much benefit from using is just the coolest thing. Awesome, awesome. So
0: I want to go back. I I forgot to ask you about this before um, because you mentioned the stool samples in your test. Mm. And and that's actually something that we've discussed having an entire podcast about stools and and scatology. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you're looking for. I mean, I know you mentioned that, that you're able to see parasites in the stool, if there are any. Um, right.
1: Talk to us a little yeah. bit about stool. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> subject. Um, yeah, so this is one of the areas where I'd say that the technology is advancing the most rapidly. And I think this is still the dark ages, actually. I think in 10 years' time, we're going to look back on this time and say, God, do you remember when we used to do stool culture omics? Oh my God, I can't believe it. And uh, now, you know, that's cutting edge. But that's not to say it's not useful, it is useful. And I would say that probably 90% of the athletes that we work with have some sort of GI complaint, right? So with the brain fog and the fatigue and the insomnia and a low libido comes either gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, or maybe some combination of all those things. And so that's a clear red flag. Like you should do a stool test at that point and find out if you, what you've got going on in there because there's some good information that can be had. But sometimes you'll get someone that's just got brain fog and then you test them And they've got some kind of, um, you know, parasitic infection, maybe entamoeba histolytica or cryptosporidium. Or uh, this morning I saw blastocystis hominis, which is one of the less, it's one of the more controversial parasites. But, you know, in the presence of other symptoms, which you can see on the other test results, like autoimmunity, then you should treat it. Um, So, yeah, there's, I I feel like the parasitology is pretty strong. Like there's not that many parasites and they do a pretty good job of, of detecting it. But of course, what we really don't know is what goes on with the other microbes, right? So the bacteria in particular. We know that some species of bacteria, like bifida bacteria, for example, seems to be quite important for Westerners. Um, but the, the techniques for measuring these things are really coming along in, in leaps and bounds. So I've done lots of the – have you heard of the Ubiome test? Yes. Yes, yeah, so I've done lots of those, and I've looked at it, and I've even developed an app that takes the Ubiome data – and then turns it into a phylogenetic tree. So do you know what a phylogenetic tree is? It's just a kind of, it's an organisational chart of things, of uh, animals. And so you can actually see, you know, rather than them just saying, oh, well, you have, you know, five dogs and three cats, I can go all the way down to the species level and say, okay, you've got three Yorkshire terriers, you've got one German Alsatian." So it's much, much more detail. And I have a feeling there's like a, I don't know this, I'm not speaking for Ubiome when I when I say this, but for feeding, there's like an FDA thing going on here, you know, where they're like, okay, you can do this test and you can report on this data, but you're absolutely not allowed to make any associations with diseases or health complaints of any type, right? So it's a right. bit like 23andMe, you know, where they're allowed to do the test, but they're not allowed to say anything about the results. Right. Um, so that's what I've done. I've acted as a third party where I just import the data from Ubiome and then create this phylogenetic tree report and I've absolutely no idea what to do with it. I look at the data. I'm like, okay, so I know that this is probably good. You know, there's hundreds of studies that show that Acomantia is good. Um, The question is, is the Acomantia along for the ride, right? You take somebody who's healthy and they have a ton of Acomantia and then you take someone who's not healthy and they don't have the bug, like which is the cause and which is the effect? And I feel like that Is still being played out. And I really don't want to say either way, which is the cause and which is the effect, because in 10 years time, I'm sure everything will have changed. But so, yeah, at the moment, I'm like, you know, with the gut stuff, you know, clearly the athletes have a huge problem with their gut. But at the moment I feel like I'm acting like um, a carpenter, whereas in the future I may be able to act as a French polisher. Do you see what I mean? Where it's actually be able to manipulate the microbiome and and really get some results that way. But at the moment, we're just, yeah, pulling nails out of stuff. Yeah, you don't want that. That sends me to his No, you definitely don't. H. pylori, no, that has to go. uh, Really, really quite crude. But it gets great results. You know, people, they come in, they have a bunch of GI symptoms, and you get rid of one of these bugs. Um, My GI symptoms have gone, oh, by the way, my brain frog has cleared out. You know, that happens all the time.
0: So I guess... Let's assume that, that some of our listeners uh, don't know some of these bugs by name and and aren't quite as familiar with healing the gut. Um, what what advice would you give, or or what symptoms? What would you tell people to look for, and and how can they um, optimize their uh, biome beyond you know the the, the usual? Um,
1: uh, it, you know, uh, well, I don't I don't really know where I'm going with that. No, I know where you're going with that. Um, So the signs that you can look for. I mean, so one of the signs I always ignored um, was just the consistency of my poop. Right. So like for the first 35 years of my life, my poop looked like a cow pat. Right. That's not normal. Right. Um, It should be like a smooth, slippery sausage and come out quite clean. And uh, sorry for all the people that's still eating their breakfast. you are probably not listening to this podcast anymore. I can just say whatever I want now. (laughs) Um, But that's a good sign, you know, like it should be like that. And that's not, it's not the be all and end all. Like if you, if you've got brain fog, but you have perfect poop, there's still a chance that you've got something undesirable down there that you could test and and eliminate with antimicrobial supplements. Um, But that's a surefire red flag, right? If you've, you know, got clear digestive complaints that, and you know, you don't have, you don't need me, right? So my goal is to teach myself out of a job. Like these tests that I'm talking about, I use the doctor's data stool test, and I use BioHealth. And I think you'll find if you poke around on the internet a bit, you'll be able to find these tests for yourself. You can order them online, and they're quite expensive, but I think they're worth it. And you know, if you're a biohacker and you're into this stuff, then go figure it out. Like, go figure out what it means if you find Blastocystis hominis on a stool test, and. I, th- I think that's kind of, you know, some people who are doctors will be listening to this going, oh God, this guy's just causing trouble. But I, th- I think this is a really cool way for uh, this problem. I mean, we know that there's not enough good doctors out there, right? And we do also know that there's a lot of really smart people like you out there. And, you know, you have a, a brain and you have the ability to, to think critically. And, and when you take some of these long technical words like entamoeba histolytica, there's not really that much junk out there on the internet. So if you type in entamoeba histolytica into PubMed, then you're going to find some good research. And, you know, in two hours' time, you're going to know more than most primary care doctors about gastroenterology or the, that particular bug and the way it affects it. So, um, yeah, that's what I would encourage people to do. I
0: think that, that's interesting that, that you say that. I, that that's, I don't think a lot of people would think, hey, uh, two hours of reading about this will put me ahead of probably 90% of the people out there. But, you know, that, that is a good point.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I should, to be very fair to the doctors, so, so Jamie... You know, is working as a primary care doctor, and it's just not fair. Like she has a two hundred seventy thousand dollars education that she's trying to pay off, and she's not allowed to use it. You know, her day is divided into fifteen minute time slots, and the only tool that she has in her box, she doesn't have any of your natural stacks. There's no tyrosine, phenylalanine, and a bunch of methylfolate in there in that toolbox. She has the prescription pad. That's it. And right. um, you know, forget about diet and lifestyle and stress and. And all of that stuff, like, what can you really say to someone in 15 minutes? Right. You could spend, you know, that person could probably get greater benefit from just spending the day listening to a bunch of podcasts um, than they could in 15 minutes with a prescription pad. So, you know, the other system, you know, those people are amazing. They have incredible educations, but I think they're trapped inside of a system that doesn't allow them to use their education.
0: That's that's interesting. Uh, I think we think we all would agree uh, on that, but I don't think I've heard anybody um, phrase it that way. That's cool. And for you guys listening, those were ingredients in dopamine brain food if you didn't catch that. So,
1: yeah, so I, I should interrupt you and, and talk about that. So one of the things that I found so compelling when I first discovered your website was we do these organic acids tests. And then based on the levels of these organic acids, we know that the person has a deficiency of dopamine or serotonin. And so we look to some of the products, like the ones you sell at NaturalStacks, to solve those problems. And I know from personal experience, they work really great. Tyrosine works fantastic. So it's just kind of happy coincidence. Like I found your website as <laughs> as, a, as as one of the potential solutions for the problems that we find in our lab work. So I think that's pretty cool. Well,
0: it's uh, great minds think alike. <laughs> And I know Abelard will be happy to hear that. He's our, our product creator for, uh, for that formula. So.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, some of it's not a secret, you know. So when I you know, I met Tommy through the Rob Wolf podcast, he's my chief medical officer, and he's a medical doctor and a PhD fellow. And he said, oh, yeah, I used to take tyrosine all the time before and exam, like it always perked me up and helped me concentrate. So, yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. So... Uh... I guess I want to go back to the uh, stool. And a few episodes ago, we had Anne Louise Gittleman on the show. And she said that if your stool is clay colored, that that is an indicator of um, uh, less than optimal bile production. So yeah. you, you mentioned kind of texture. Uh, what about color? Anything? We
1: yeah, need no, to not really, um, I've not really thought about that too hard. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so that's what gives – so the breakdown of bilirubin is what gives the stool its color – and um, that could be a window into other things as well, like maybe some of the conjugation pathways in the liver are not working very well. You know, some of the enzymes are blocked and you could look at some of that, you know, on a blood chemistry, you have uh, total bilirubin and then uh, direct and indirect. And uh, so you could look at some of that to see if, uh, if maybe that was a reason. So, yeah, it's, it's really whenever I look at the test results, it's never one test in isolation. And so that's why I use this video conferencing app, Zoom, because I share my screen and then people can actually see me jumping backwards and forwards between the test results to confirm or deny. You know, I start with this list of possibilities and then narrow it down to a list of probabilities. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So that's one thing that we see a lot of is endurance athletes with problems with red blood cells. So most endurance athletes listening to this will know that oxygen deliverability is the key to performance. Like the more oxygen you deliver to your exercising muscle, the faster you'll go. So your VO2 max is going to be really, really important. And, um, you know, we see people with nutrition deficiencies, particularly in folate, which I see in a bunch of your supplements, right? That methylfolate. And what that does uh, for red blood cells is it allows them to eject the nucleus out of the cell. And so what we see in lots of endurance athletes is really big red blood cells. They have an MCV. So MCV stands for mean corpuscular volume. And the MCV will be like 99. And then I look at the uh, organic acids test, a urine test, and you see an elevation of a marker called formula glutamate. And formula glutamate builds up when there's a deficiency of folate. So then at that point, you know with reasonable certainty that that person has a folate deficiency and that's holding them back from producing normal-sized red blood cells, But you could have other things going on. So if you had like a bunch of red blood cell destruction, maybe you had an intracellular infection and it was causing a bunch of inflammation and the red blood cells were breaking down too early, well, that hemolysis would end up, the hemoglobin would all end up getting um, broken down and, and conjugated and gotten rid of in the bile And so that would end up in the the stool. But I just don't know. I've never known of anyone being able to diagnose that by looking at the color of the stool. But yeah, that's where it goes eventually. But you don't want it. I mean, so the problem, you know, you have to get to the root cause. Like, what is going on? Is there an intracellular infection that's breaking down the red blood cells too early? You kind of, you have to think about all this stuff. And In my experience, like the the symptoms and, and qualitative evaluations are not that helpful. And you've really got to do the biochemistry and understand that.
0: So let's go back you, you we're talking about uh red blood cells being the key to performance and because of their ability to deliver oxygen so uh, let's let's make that actionable for our people listening. Um, are there dietary protocols are there training protocols that we can use to uh, hack that and increase that?
1: um no that's all supplements. I love to say that I'm a, you know, a whole food start and lifestyle first guy. And the hacking I've done on my red blood cell count has all been supplements. Sorry everyone. <laughs> so yeah, what but you can do it. So you can do a um a, a basic blood chemistry. You can look at hemoglobin and you can look and look at the 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 some of the other markers, the color um of the red blood cells. That's the Um, you know, like MCV and MCCH, I forget all the abbreviations, the hemoglobin concentration, right? I think of them as just like the colour of the red blood cell. And certainly you need certain nutrients in order to make red blood cells, right? So um, iron is one of them. You need zinc, you need copper, uh, folate I mentioned, also B12. So we can see B12 deficiency with the organic acids as um, methylmalinate. But, you know, you have to really, really understand like how the the process works, like the production, the destruction, and the loss of red blood cells in order to know, you know, so some, so what I've seen a lot of is athletes that are saying, Oh, well, I've got an anemia. I just need to take some more iron. And, you know, uh, an anemia and an iron deficiency are not necessarily the same things, right? There's lots of different types of anemia. And in fact, we, most of the masters athletes that we test, so most of the guys that we test are like my age 40 plus plus. Okay. And they actually have a deficiency of iron, uh, sorry, uh, an overload of iron. So when we look at their ferritin, it's in the hundreds. And, uh, you know, with that, their percentage saturation is another marker on a blood chemistry is really elevated. And that causes a ton of oxidative stress, right? So you've seen that um, iron overload. You've seen a rusty nail, right? It's a pro-oxidant. Right. Right. And the same thing happens with uh, iron excess in your body. And so you need to get rid of that excess blood by giving blood, um, and uh, that's kind of, that's actually one of the drawbacks, the pitfalls of the paleo diet. I think it works a little bit too well in that respect for the guys. You know, they're smashing back the, uh, the ribeye steak with, um, you know, a ton of butter on it. Well, that's a really good combination for absorbing iron. And so eventually you may become iron overloaded um, because men never lose blood. And that's really the only way you lose iron.
0: So is that something that men who follow a paleo or primal approach
1: should yeah, be aware we of? See. It's almost like, I don't know what it is. Maybe you just have like this huge selection bias with the people that I work with. Um, you know, they hear me on the podcast and they come forward to do one of our programmes. And, um, you know, maybe I'm just selecting a sort of certain sort of person that always has iron overload. But at the moment, it seems like the rate of iron overload is is through the roof. So if you're, you're listening to this, you're, <laughs> you're finding it interesting, <laughs> go check your ferritin because I think you might be iron overloaded. <laughs> yeah. How about that for wild speculation? But it could be true. And it's like, a, you know not difficult to test and the solution is, is 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 extremely altruistic you know when you go donate blood you're you're helping someone you can save someone's life and so maybe that'd be a good thing to just to, to do for that reason alone yeah, let alone
0: absolutely that's interesting um all right chris what are the last two or three books that you've read or podcasts that you've listened to that have uh, benefited you
1: wow, I just listen to so much stuff. I can't remember it all now. You know, I sit in my sauna and listen to podcasts for at least an hour a day. <laughs> it's like my little pet person. And I don't actually read that many books. So, you know, I'm really, really lucky and I have Tommy that helps me navigate the literature. And we've talked about this on the podcast, the evidence-based medicine. I think it is a system in crisis. And just because somebody's sending you a rodent study showing that this is true, it doesn't mean anything to you at all, like literally nothing. Right. And so you need someone to help you navigate um, that literature. And so, you know, I spend most of my time not reading books, but reading uh, scientific studies that have not just been pulled off of PubMed by me, but have actually been sent to me by Tommy, right? So at the moment, we're looking a lot at um, exogenous ketone supplementation. Um, I'm organizing a keto summit. And, uh, you know, so part of that has been doing research on ketone esters and the salts. And I've been talking to a couple of researchers, one of whom I know, you know, Dominic D'Agostino. And then there's another woman, Professor Kieran Clark in the UK, has a ketone ester product. And so, you know, people were just sending me tons of scientific studies to read all the time. And the only reason I could read them, so I should make this as important. uh, The thing that allowed me to read these studies. So you got that in your education, your $200,000 education that you got, Ryan, Um, you know, enabled you to read these scientific papers. Um, For me, I was able to get a tiny fraction of that education, like just enough to be able to make sense of these papers from Brian Walsh's training course called Metabolic Fitness Pro. So Brian teaches biochemistry on a whiteboard. It's awesome. I absolutely love it like one of the best things the best $200 I think it's a bit more expensive it might be $400 but it's still the best $400 you ever spent is that training course and then so that's what I do I spend all my time just reading scientific papers okay so talk to us a little bit about
0: these uh, exogenous ketones
1: yeah so I mean I'm sure a lot of people listening to this already know about ketosis and the diet that I've described earlier this high fat diet is ketogenic so that's the the magic keyword that you're looking for is ketone or ketogenesis or ketosis and um the diet that i follow some people would call it quite restrictive right so i'm not eating any carbohydrates whatsoever so my daughter's eating some banana chips out there and i just don't eat the banana chips i eat all the vegetables and a lot of fat a lot of avocado and stuff and some people would say that's a hideous diet and that, you know they'd never want to eat that and they want the carbs and they don't want the restrictions and so you can get some of the benefits that i describe so this ability to do very long endurance Exercise without having to eat a ton of food or without running out of fuel um, from exogenous ketones, and that's something else. They're kind of a novel product that's really just emerging on the market. Uh, so that I've been taking the ketone salts, mm-hmm. um, which is produced by Patrick Arnold. Who mm-hmm. maybe some that's, people have. Oh. Is that
0: uh, Keto Force? It's got the KF on the. Yeah, model. K-
1: Keto Force. It's called. Yeah. So those are sodium, potassium salts and it tastes like seawater it's not gross yeah and then he has another product called Ketocana, uh, which is also the salts and that's in a that, that's a mineral that's the ketone minerals isn't it so it's the um calcium and sodium so yeah it's still so it's a slightly different product but it's with uh, stevia so it's slightly more palatable
0: okay
1: and uh they work quite well as well
0: so when you say you're taking those can you explain to us like exactly the application? Are you taking them by themselves? Or are you taking them with MCT oils? Or are you using them before you train? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, I'm only using them with bike races. So we know that when you metabolize a ketone, or in fat in general, you, you generate more ATP per unit oxygen. And we talked about earlier about oxygen deliverability, deliverability being key for exercise performance for endurance athletes. So this, this is not well fleshed out, this idea at the moment, I have to admit. But... Um, I've been taking the ketone salts before bike races and anecdotally they, they do seem to, so I find them a massive appetite suppressant, like, and I think that's telling you it's doing something. Um, so I won't be hungry in the way, like before I'd finish a bike race and I'd want to eat somebody's arm. Whereas now I feel like I've, you know, almost been out all night nightclubbing, you know, like in my early days when I was 18, that sort of feeling like you're really quite revolted by food. Um. But, yeah, no, so anecdotally, I mean, I just wish I had a better way to test this. You know, I can't say, oh, I did this race and got this result and then I took the salts and I did another race and everything else was controlled and kept equal and the salts showed a 7% improvement in performance. I just can't tell you stuff like that. It's all anecdotal. But it makes sense. You have to, you know, you put together the pieces of the biochemistry and just being able to raise your ketones by just a little bit should help you. And I've just been drinking that. The Keto Force, I mix it with water and a little bit of um, apple cider vinegar, some lime. Um, It tastes pretty awful still, but it's palatable. Um, And then I have um, my own, so the MCT oil, I've turned it into powder. I have my own product that's called Fat Fiber, and it's a free-flowing powder of MCT oil. And that's super handy for me as a bike racer. You know, when I go to bike races, I don't really want to carry an oil. Um, so So that's what I've been using as well, and that works quite well to raise blood ketones as well.
0: Is the Fat Fiber available? It is
1: available, yeah. Yeah. So this is a brand new thing that Tommy um, and my wife, Julia, and I designed recently. We've just done our first pre-production run. You can go to it. It's it's Fat Fiber. Because I'm British, it's P-H and fiber is spelled R-E. So fatfiber.com. And uh, this is our first pre-production run. So it really is a bit of a prototype product. But, um, I mean, it works great for me personally. And if I end up using all 220 bags myself personally, uh, it won't be the end of the world. Um, So I'm really, obviously, very interested to know what people think of it.
0: Well, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. So for you guys listening, uh, go to Natural Stacks. When you look at the video version of this on the blog, uh, we'll have a link to Fat Fiber, P-H-A-T-F-I-B-R-E. Dot com and uh, you guys can check that out over there. Um, well, that's interesting that um, you know you're experiencing the the anecdotal benefits. Um, uh, we saw Dominic. Uh, you mentioned Dominic Diagostino. We mm-hmm. saw him speak at the Bulletproof Conference. I actually think it was 2014 uh, when he presented some of his research on exogenous ketone use, and I mm-hmm. think he was using the same the the same salts that you're using. Um. And it's it's his research, and it's been a long time since I saw him present on it. But they were using it with Navy SEALs uh, uh, during their underwater dives, uh, and also with cyclists. But uh, I believe that that if memory serves, they were able to achieve um, performance enhancement with as little as a tablespoon, like a single tablespoon dose, uh, and, right. and that they had research showing, um, you know, whatever the benefit was. I don't remember, but performance was enhanced, um, on cyclists and for these, uh, because with Navy SEALs underwater, part of what they have to do is, is conserve oxygen, um, and, you know, these are guys that if they're trying to be sneaky, they don't want a whole lot of bubbles coming up to the surface. Um, so, you know, they're using special breathing tanks that are even smaller than a normal scuba tank so that they have to conserve oxygen. And uh, being in ketosis, they used uh, oxygen more efficiently.
1: Yeah, that might be true. But I think the main reason um, the, the, the application was to protect against uh, uh, neurotoxicity. Yeah, exactly. So that yeah. you have oxygen toxicity yep. and um the, uh, the ketones are actually neuroprotective. Yeah. And so this is interesting for Tommy as well. So he does, his PhD is in uh, neonatal neuroprotection. Okay. Uh, so these are babies that are born with some sort of hypoxic injury. You know, they get born with a cord or wrapped around their neck or something like that. And so, you know, the, the current standard of care is to cool these babies just a little bit by a few degrees. And that has a neuroprotective effect, right? So there's not as much brain damage from the hypoxic injury. And it may turn out that things like ketone, esters or salts um might also have a neuroprotective effect but that's that's pure speculation and and nobody has really done any research like that so that's one of the things i'm sure in 10 years time will have been done and it's a kind of exciting area
0: you guys talked about that on one of your more recent podcasts it was one that that i listened to before we recorded this what what number was that on your show
1: um, so the neuroprotection, the evidence based Oh, we don't have numbers.
0: <laughs> okay, but that was the title, the evidence based. Uh, yeah,
1: evidence based mes- medicine.
0: All right, I'll put it's a link to that. Evidence based medicine: a movement in crisis. I'll put a link to that on the show notes. So, for you guys are listening, if if you can't remember it, or can't that was find a good episode, actually, it was a good episode. Uh, so
1: Tommy, so I mean, it was really good because Tommy is just so brutally honest. Like he's, he almost threw himself under the bus, right? He's a scientist. He does peer review for a living. He looks at other people's work. He's a brilliant editor. He's a brilliant writer. A brilliant scientist, and he just gets really cheesed off with people citing rodent studies to support their claims. Right? Like you should always be suspicious of that. If you look at a product page and they're using rodent evidence to support the benefits, then that's questionable to say the least. You know, you're almost better off not citing anything. Um, so, yeah, he talked about a lot of the, the limitations of, of, of what science can do. And it's not to say that it hasn't done anything. It's just that it's being used and abused in a ways that I think that, that not many people intended to happen.
0: Right. Um, well, Chris, where can our listeners get more of you? <laughs> Even more than this? Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea, right? They, they get a taste. They like you. They want, they want more
1: yeah absolutely or if they
0: they want to go through some uh some some medicine and and some treatments and stuff with you some protocols.
1: yeah exactly so we've kind of getting we've really got it I feel like we've got it it's a well-oiled machine now at this point you know before it was it was a bit more piecemeal so people would come to us and they would do one test and then that would lead to another test and that would lead to another test and eventually we would get the result that we'd want and it would take a little bit longer than people were expecting and um we always got there in the end but you know, so we spent a lot of time looking at it. So what are the people doing that are getting the best results? And uh, we thought about that quite carefully and put it together into a program. And you can see that if you come to com forward slash EPP, uh, we now have a program. So you can look at the tests that we do and the coaching that we do and um, you can just sign up right there. And then, you know, that kicks off the back end process and we will send you the test kits and all of that. And you can also book a free consultation with me. I'm kind of running a little bit out of, do you know, if, if you ever had your schedule, just get booked up and booked up and booked up. and yes. booked up? You're, like, <laughs> say, you're saying to people, oh, well, you can talk to me, but actually it's it's quite a long time until you can do so. So that, there's a little bit of a danger of that. Um, but you can also talk to my colleague, Amelia, who's done all the same functional medicine training that I have. So you can come to nourishbalancedhrive.com forward slash EPP. And there's a button on that page where you can book a free consultation. So we can talk about what's going on for you and, and, and how some of the testing that we do might you know, elucidate your problems. And uh, yeah, that's how you get started.
0: Okay. Well, we'll put that link on the website too. So uh, you guys will be able to one-click and shoot straight over there. All right, Chris, now is the question that you thought I was trying to sneak in earlier. Uh, your top three tips to live optimal.
1: Okay. I think number one, you know, I thought about this so carefully when i first realized that you were asking this question to every guest and of course i've totally forgotten it now and that's because i haven't started SEALTEP yet that's we, we talked about it on my podcast just now so i haven't you have to bear that like, go easy on me i'm not taking SEALTEP, is what i wanted to say first and the first thing is and i think i've already mentioned this that that's nobody cares about this problem more than you do not your doctor not your wife, not your coach, not your personal trainer, nobody. Like, nobody cares about this problem more than you do. So if you've got a body composition goal or you want to qualify for the Boston Marathon or you want to get your UCI Pro mountain bike licence, then nobody on earth cares about that problem more than you do. And as soon as you start realising that, good things will happen. Take charge. Like, this is your problem. And then the second thing I'd say is you've got to know what's going on with your biology. Like, gone are the days where you could just go to a coach and him say to you, oh, well, I've got this great, you know, training plan that Joel Friel invented in 1974, and it gets great results for 99% of athletes. Because by the time you get to 40 years old, you've just, I mean, you've done it. You've done everything, right? You've tried everything. You've done everything. You've plateaued. Like your biology is defining your performance at that point. And so the only way you're going to get better is to do some investigation and actually figure out what's going on inside of your body. And I think the third thing would be understand the limitations of your doctor. Right. So we talked about this a little bit. The, The doctor, they diagnose and treat disease. And they do a really good job of doing that, I would say. So when I break my arm on my mountain bike, the doctors do a phenomenal job of fixing that up. And I would never be without them. You know, if, some, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, please send me to ER. Right? Like They do an amazing job. But if you walk into your doctor's office and you say, look, I'm interested in qualifying for the Boston Marathon, they're going to look down. There's like now 10,000 of these ICD-10 codes. right? They're not going to find one that says wants to qualify for Boston. That's not going to happen. And so you're going to have to pay for that in the same way as you pay for your running shoes. Or if you're a triathlete, the same way as you pay for your carbon fiber wheels. And I can guarantee you, like literally I will give you back your money if you do one of our programs and you don't get – if the carbon fiber wheels make you faster, I'll give you all of the money back. I guarantee it. (laughs) So that would be my top three things. I
0: love the last one. That's great. I love all of them. But the last one is great. Yeah, I I would agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Our our trauma care system is phenomenal. Um, It's amazing, but uh, beyond trauma, the the whole healthcare, sick care
1: is. uh, Yeah, we we had a baby visiting the other like literally two weeks ago, and this baby was born with all of the insides on the outside. Like everything from the diaphragm down was outside when she came out by cesarean section, and they the surgeons they just. Tucked everything back in, stitched her up. You can't even see it. Like there's just a tiny little scar on her belly button, and that's it. And how how amazing is that? How does that happen? I I don't know. Some, I really don't know. That's it's phenomenal how they can fix things like that. But um, yeah, if you walk into a doctor's office and say I've got brain fog, good luck. You know they've got nothing for that. You know you're tired. I'm tired. My receptionist is tired. What do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Oh, Chris, this has been an
0: awesome podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. For you guys listening, head over to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the uh, video version of this along with all of the links and resources. We've got quite a few from this episode, uh, so you'll be able to click right on those and, and visit any of the stuff that we've talked about. Make sure you head to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and if the Optimal Performance Podcast is helping you uh, to live a better life, to, to be healthier, to be happier... Make sure you share it with somebody else that you know uh, so that we can reach as many people as possible and help as many people. Um, That's it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you next Thursday. Not to start. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance.
1: Optimize yourself.